We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week we are book clubbing Sally Field's memoir written in 2018 titled In Pieces. This is a book that's filled with pain, trauma, and acting reviews. Like, actual acting reviews from critics are printed in the book. You will learn so much about the business. And also for anyone who listened to the Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds Valentine's Day episode, we are finally going to close the Burt Reynolds loop. And spoiler alert, he gets worse. But I want to say thank you to you. I haven't had an orthodox career and I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. That was Sally Field's acceptance speech when she won the Oscar for Places in the Heart. I'm including that speech because it did get a little made fun of, but I found that it spoke so much to the heart of what is in this book. And so now let's dive into the episode with our amazing guest, Danielle Schneider. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Chelsea. I'm so excited to have you. You guys know Danielle. She is a writer and actress. She's written for and been on Black Monday, which is on Showtime. She co-created and starred in The Hot Wives. She's written for It's Always Sunny. 
Sunny and Keenan, which is out now, and it's so funny. And she is the co-host of Bitch Sesh, which is not only one of my favorite podcasts, but she and Casey graciously extended a hand to me and helped me launch Celebrity Book Club, which was so kind of you guys. You did not have to do that, and you totally helped me launch this podcast. And I just wanted to call out how much you guys help other women and help keep the door open, and I want to thank you. <laughs> That's an intro. I mean, <laughs> wow, I've done so much. I What what am I doing here? I've done so much. I should just retire. <laughs> just retire, girl. Do this yes. podcast from a hot tub. And we were happy to have you on Bitch Sesh because it does feel um, like a sister podcast in the sense that I think we both talk about women who have been through shit and who have, you know, often been labeled unlikable or too much. And we are saying they're not enough. We're saying, I mean, or like, it's, <laughs> that you know is what I mean? beautiful. Is, is that your tagline for the yeah, podcast? Women are not enough. <laughs> women are. <laughs> no, we're saying we want more. Like, we like more we yes. like more you know i've always been attracted to and seduced by um older women who are have big personalities like you know that's why i always love like soap operas and things like even as a young age i think i've always been attracted to kind of bigger than life women that is your Bumble profile for making friends. You're attracted <laughs> to older women with with big personalities. I am. Like yes, the older, yes. the bigger the personality, the better. And I have to I should be a little afraid of them too. <laughs> yeah. <always> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's get into that. Yeah. Um I I absolutely love that and am so honored to be called a sister of your podcast because I love it so much. And yeah, complicated, wild women, best female characters, and even better when they're real women. So I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met, and I think I remember how we first met. Do you remember how we first met? Um, yes, I think through your boyfriend, Yasser Lester, who is also a very good friend of mine. And um, it's so funny because I had heard so much about Yasser before I even went into the Black Monday writer's room just because we had so many friends in common. And yeah. then I think even just an email exchange Oh, yeah, I, I felt like kinship with Yasser like immediately. I was like, oh, we're best friends and we just met. Like, I just felt yeah. like we were two peas in a pod. Like, we just got along. We busted each other's chops. Like, we just, I just, but, and so then he was like, I have this girlfriend. She's a writer. She's amazing. And then you came to the Black Monday writer's room, I think, one day. Yeah. And you were this hot, hot lady. I was like, oh, wow. Thank you. Gorgeous and <laughs> funny like just like you came in you just looked like I was just in like my shitty writer like and I was like this is a woman who dresses to impress um, well I specifically uh, I don't normally look like that but for that day I was like I know I'm going by the writer's room he has been in this room for so long I really want to impress them I really want them to say nice things about me to him I'm going to put it on. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I wore my most interesting jacket. Did I do you? remember that. Yes, <laughs> I did. I, I remember thinking you were really funny and smart. And I also felt that sort of instant kinship with you. I was like, oh, she's my wow. type of lady. Like, you know, I just kind of felt immediately comfortable. And like, yeah, sometimes I do this a little too far with people where like I have an immediate comfort level with them where they're like, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> already like I, we're here. We're here already. And you're like, wait, I just met you. So I, I sometimes do that too much. But I did no, feel no. that with you. And I loved it. it. 
And, and that's in my memory. Is that, am I right? That is my memory too. Okay. A part of me was like, did we somehow meet before? But I remember coming into the room and you were just so nice. And you know, not all writer's room visits, when you go into the room, it can be a good time. It can be a bad time. You never know what you're walking into when you walk into a, a writer's room and you you just made such an effort to be kind to me. And I had looked up to you. And so it's like, you know, whoa, oh my God. Like, um, and then you guys invited me on your podcast and I was like, couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, ah! <laughs> um, so yes. And you know, what's so funny too, is that only through doing this podcast, have I realized how many really great women Yasser has introduced me to. Really? And so, look, yes, because I've done these intros and they'll be like, yeah. And then Yasser. And I was like, that is so, no wonder I like him so much. No wonder we live together. Um, well, I think that there are people in this world and um, men in this world who enjoy strong, funny uh, women. And your husband is one of them. And he um, is, you know, just kind of very supportive and has a lot of like strong, funny female friends. And so the, it all kind of... Yeah. I, I, and I will say, like, I, I had a friend, uh, we're no longer friends, but she one uh, time said to me in uh, prob- a nicer way, she was sort of like, there's no one who's going to be able to love you. <laughs> and, you know, what? we're not friends anymore. <laughs> she sounds <But> terrific. <laughs> she was really great. Um, but she was just sort of like, you're wow, now that I'm seeing this out loud, this is really bad. She was like, you're so hard to love because I'm a lot. But, and I, I think I internalized that for a long time. And then you meet someone like Yasser and you're like, no, there are men in this world uh, who like women who are a lot. Yeah. Big personalities, Danielle. And that's, um, I'm the same way. I'm a, I'm, my husband is literally always constantly, and, and lovely, I come in from the outside world and he's like, it's so loud right now. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm just like, I come from a writer, you know, like in the writer's room where yes. I'm just been, like shouting jokes all day and then he, he gets, I get home and he's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um, okay, so... Let's dive into this book. Sure. First off, um, no ghostwriter, which... Are we sure? Like, uh, see, I don't know how ghostwriters work in the sense that, like, because I also come from the housewives world where none of them talk about their ghostwriters. And so they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, Teresa Giudici would be like, I did this myself. And you're like, you're, there's yeah. no way you did this yourself. <laughs> there's no way. You have no typing skills. At, 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 that's first and foremost. Yes. So I was like, no ghostwriter. Yeah, right. But I will say the New York Times says she did not use a ghostwriter. Wow. And she also said it took seven years to write this. And also knowing that makes makes me like the book more. Yeah. Because there were some literary things that were missing for me, but realizing she did this whole thing by herself is like, oh, never mind. It's great. Yeah. No, she, I mean, what I liked about this, and again, I, when you asked me like to come on the show, like which of these, but you know, like I love Sally Field from way back. Like I will just say that like I feel a kinship. When did it begin? Her. Well, I have to say I was sort of a latchkey kid in the mm-hmm. sense of the like, best, the best yes. are the best. No wonder I love you. <laughs> I was a latchkey kid. My sister and I would come home and just from school, you know, walk home from school and just watch TV until it was dark, basically. That was our babysitter. And um, and so I watched, like, these very, like, even at seven or eight, I was watching, like, I remember my schedule. I would just be, like, uh, General Hospital, three o'clock, reruns of Dallas at four. Like, and I was seven. Yes. So, like, this was... <laughs> I got my schedule. Yeah, that was my schedule. But, and during the summer, they would show, like, these older programs. And I didn't, you know, at that age, you don't know what's older and what's younger. It, it all sort of, like, I remember being very disappointed to know that the monkeys were not young now. That the, the monkeys, the TV show, was, like, my dad's age. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> because I thought they were of now. But yeah. two shows that I watched, and they would, one would come on after the other, was... 
Gidget, which again, wow, you saw Gidget. I yeah. watched Gidget. It was only a season, but they would just run that one fucking season over and over and <laughs> over again, which I appreciated. And then The Flying Nun. And wow. so I would watch these reruns of these old shows. I think it was on like TBS. They used to play like a lot of like older programs. And I just fell in love with this adorable girl. You know, she just looked so young. And and she also looked accessible in the way that I think I thought of myself as being. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yes. Um, kind of brunette. The Sandra Bullock of her time. Yeah, like just like really accessible and sweet and funny and cute and a sense of humor. And I just, I sort of as a young age, she was kind of like a teenager to me. Not she, again, she was much older at the time. She was my parents' age, but I felt that she was a teenager. And so I just have always had this soft spot in my heart as part of my latchkey existence that she was kind of there for me during this time. So I've always loved her. Oh, oh I love that. Yeah, because – and what I love about this episode is that we're coming up – we're coming to Sally Field from totally different ends of the field. Look at that. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, you have so much love for her. And I, I, my mom is like obsessed with Murphy's romance. Oh, that's, um, like her. I, again, I, I have, I have taste of an older woman. I do. Yeah. <laughs> like I have, <laughs> like, and I remember having a very big crush on James Garner, who's also, again, oh. an elder gentleman. And, an has, el- <laughs> but I, I so I understand your mother's love for that movie. Yes, just loves it, and so and I've always just known. Oh, Sally Field, the incredible actress. That's just what I know of her. And m- yes. my favorite cameo of hers is uh, in Where the Heart Is. Uh, a, yes, a real, she's great. In it. <laughs> she's. I mean, I will say it is one scene, and she's genius. Like yes. the layers she brought to that. I mean, she's just incredible. And that's my. I'm going to call it a trash movie with love. I love that movie. I do too, and it is a trash movie. But I have watched it 17 times on like a Saturday before I had kids, where I was like, yes, Oh yeah. The, the the day quarantine started, I was like, time to put on where the heart is. <laughs> you know? That's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I just always thought of her like, yeah, the, the the phenomenal actress Sally Field. I really didn't know a lot about her inner uh, life. And mm-hmm. so I actually was kind of shocked by this book and what she is like. The trauma uh, was, you know. Yeah. Whew, that was tough because I didn't know anything about her at all except for her performances that I loved. And and I also do a Sally Field impression, which I will bring out later. But um, Okay, you save it for the right moment, but yeah, do not leave without doing it. I will. Um, but I've always loved her, and I think I've seen every performance she's ever done, including Not Without My Daughter. And um, wow. it's just – but to know her trauma growing up was – it was painful to, it, to It's read. really painful. And – I wasn't necessarily shocked from the trauma because weirdly having done this podcast, if your memoir does not, if your female memoir does not have severe trauma in it, is it a memoir? I know. Um, You know, we all, I want to say all of us, even though celebrities are the only people I'm studying, go through intense trauma and we don't talk about it. It's, it just seems to be what it is. And then the moment you write your book, you're like, oh my God. And, and, and not just, and I also think of a certain generation, they talked about it even less. So like, yes. this is, you know, our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation. And yeah. it's so, like, t- trauma is so, we're so ashamed now. Even then, it wasn't talked about at all. So that is Yeah, very even the word tra- trauma yeah. would have been saved for other things. But I mean, it's, he- it's heavy in here. It, it, even, so... The parts of the book that like I found very surprising were, and tell me if you agree with this, I found that the book would sometimes present emotional clarity, like this is the clarity on the situation that didn't feel like clarity to me. It almost felt like 
she was still process and probably maybe for the first time is processing some of the stuff she was writing. So it was really interesting in that way. But in terms of someone who is fully on the other side of trauma, sometimes I felt like she was still in the fog of it. And sometimes oh, I felt sure. like there was a fog over the whole book. And she mentions like being in a fog a lot of her life, which is she um, does. A, an effect of trauma. And so she's describing a trauma brain, but not specifically describing trauma and then yeah the the fog of the book was i really felt it as, almost as if she could have a second book after all of this was processed more she blamed herself at times she didn't call things rape but described them and they very clearly were um and she she feels like she's just kind of talking about a lot of this for the very first time i think she is still really processing this trauma i don't yeah. know yeah, yeah. yeah it felt really fresh to me, like yes. it, it yes. felt not, and I think because she came late to exploring it and she kept it hidden and she kept it underneath her for so long. And I also don't think she has the tools uh, to deal with this yes. trauma. I think, you know, she was abused by her stepfather. She was abandoned by her father. She had a mother who knew about the abuse and didn't stop it. I, I don't know how how one bounces back from that, especially during a time when it wasn't discussed. And I just... Yeah, I, I then, totally... Yeah, And going. then she, her relationship with sex is, is so fraught. And then she had an abortion, which was traumatic in a way, you know to say the least, just a, a very traumatic abortion. I'm not saying that they're easy abortions, but it, it was beyond <laughs> traumatic. Beyond, beyond, yeah. And all of that, in all before the age of like 18. Like, I don't, it's so tough. It's so tough. And I think that is what, uh, weirdly, as I was looking at doing this episode today, I like found so much love for the book once I could take a step away from it because I think the book is written in a little bit of unprocessed trauma. So yeah. it's hard to uh, pull things from it sometimes. And then stepping away from it, I was like, whoa. And I love that you listed out those events because we're going to dive into all of them. But the, those events created something in this book that was by far the most shocking part to me, which is that Sally, uh, Sally Field kind of has this obsession with not being liked yeah. and not having friends and not being likable. And you can feel some of her self-hate in the book, sometimes a lot. Yeah. Sometimes to the point where it was difficult for me to read some of it because it was like so um, mean to herself. And then also, you know, the Oscar speech, you like me, you really like me. This being liked is like baked into her that she is not liked. And so when she did win the Oscar and she said that, and then knowing that people made fun of it uh, is like, well, but this a is a woman who. It's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy in the it sense is. that like when you're so desperate to be liked, you get what you give, which is like you're giving off this vibe of like, nobody likes me. I'm so scared. And then, so even when you say something like that, it's just going to come back and hit you in the face. Like I, and I, yes, I relate to that a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Tell me because I, I, at times, the one thing I did like is you can tell she doesn't care if the reader likes her, which I liked. I was like, that's cool <laughs> progress. Like, I don't care. But at the same time, me. like some of it would be a little grating where it's like, oh, this like, like intense, this intense need is like seeping out of the book. I um, I think I was like that. 
Um, I do think as I've gotten older, age has mellowed me out for sure. Um, I don't think it's mellowed her out, sadly. (laughs) But I do. More age, Sally. (laughs) Uh, You know, some people, but I do think. What um, parts of that do you think, like what parts of, of, of growing up do you think gave you the mellowness? Like what came out of it? I think I used to leave a party say and be like, oh, what did I do wrong? What did I say? Who did I tell? How is that going to affect my life, my career? Um, And I think, you know, over the last 10 years, I've gotten the confidence and worked really hard and became, not that this did it, I'm saying, but like the things that helped me personally, becoming a mom, I think I just don't give a shit as much anymore. I- I'm not saying I don't want to be liked, but I've worked hard enough in my life and that I don't leave a party anymore. Or I might leave a party saying, oh God, what did I say? And then my next comment is, I don't care. I relate. You know, it's like, I just, not that I don't feel those feelings, but I just don't care anymore. I don't. Which is, I love that. And I, it's interesting because maybe I repelled from this in the book because it's hitting some part of me that I also relate to because I definitely have um, the party hangover of like, ah, what have I done? And I also have an intent. I, I have a, yeah, I have two horrible qualities in me. One is like, fuck you, everyone can burn. And do you like me? And do you like what I'm wearing? <laughs> um, you know, and they both exist in me. And thankfully the like, fuck off takes over a lot when I need it to. But I still have the like, wake up and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. It's so funny because I never had that fuck you, everybody can burn. I never had that. Like I was always like, I hope people like me. I want to be nice to people. You know, whatever my childhood trauma was or who I am has obviously made me want to be liked. And so I recognize that in Sally Field. But I do think I just got older and I just got, um, I, I got confidence in, I think, being myself and being successful as just myself that I realized I'm too tired to care if people that aren't going to like, I, uh, I'm okay. I like me enough that if other people don't, what can I do? (laughs) I I love that. And you know what? I, I want it. Give me bottle some of that and fucking sell it as merch on this podcast. My God. Um, (laughs) I mean like, yeah, that, that is what we all need. And, and I definitely suffer from, uh, I definitely suffer from, from that of like, if someone doesn't like you being like, whatever, I don't care. I'm like, well, you know, if I give you some evidence, I bet you'd change your mind. Come uh, yeah. on over here. Let me tell you why you're wrong. It's like, that's not help, healthier. Help, no, or no. And I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I never feel insecure anymore. I just, I feel it. But then I'm just like, what are you going to yeah. do? Like, I, I get, I get very, yeah. yeah. What am I going to do? I love At the end that. of the day, and- I'm still myself. Like I even, even if I slap on lipstick or pretend to be something else, I'm still like, I can't keep it up longer. I can't keep yeah. it up that long. <laughs> just, still me. I love that though. I love that though because f- you can feel it, but then just how ha- you you can feel it, and you no need to fight it, and then just add a second feeling, which is fuck off, and what can you do? Yeah. What can you um, do? And so yeah, so to get into the childhood abuse, because a, a lot of that likable, that sort of need in there is gonna come from the traumatic stuff that happens to her. Yes. Which is. Um, her uh, her parents divorce. Her, her mom divorces her dad when she kind of gets a career on the Paramount lot, which also goes with the theme of becoming a, a successful person in this business. Mm-hmm. Often happens when you have a family member who came before you and tried, failing yes. or succeeding. That does seem to, like, 
Like, I mean, thank God. I did. My mom's like a mortgage broker. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't feel <laughs> the pressure to succeed in this business for her. Yeah, which is great. But, but also the leg up it gives you when you do have someone, you yes. know, here, which is which is Sally's mom and her stepdad. So she marries uh, her stepdad, Jocko. Oh, not lying. That is his the, the nickname, the if name there is was called ever such a Jocko. You've never seen such a Jocko. It just this picture what you Jocko. think Jocko is. And that's Jocko. And that is Jocko. And I cannot think of a more stepdad name than Jocko. And I will say I say uh, I say the phrase big stepdad energy, unfortunately, a lot on this podcast. And I just want to say the biggest stepdad energy of your life is oh Jocko. Jocko God. is every stepdad. He's Did a, you have a stepdad. I did not. I just had oh, my dad dad. And I, sense. that is, I come from a very healthy father-daughter relationship. I've got lots of mommy issues, but my father-daughter relationship is strong. Good. Yeah. It's good to have one. I, I feel like I'm really formed by big stepdad energy. That, that can really be a lot of my life. <laughs> no, I'm formed by uh, big, uh, big mommy issue territory. <laughs> like That's big, my big, shit. <laughs> big mama issue shit. But dad Big issue. mama issue. Yeah. Uh, Ugh, that should be a newspaper. The big mama <laughs> issues. Um, so Sally's dad. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say he abandoned her because I want to ask you about this. It For me, she includes this thing where her dad sends her a letter being like, here you are again in another interview saying I'm a horrible dad. But like, here's proof that I fought for custody. I gave it because your mom said and I care. And I was like, that's so nice. One, you know who your dad is. Two, he's writing you letters. Like, what a- <laughs> You're pretty good to me. Um, but, but I guess yeah, I'm coming from a different place where, like, my dad was very there and my dad was very present. And so he would just, like, put them in front of the TV. He didn't know what to do with them. And again, a different time. This is, like, the 1950s. I understand the relationships between fathers and children was different. And yet uh, he was not – even if when he was there physically, he was not there mentally. And so yes. there was a, a abandonment in that sense as well, I feel. Okay, that's a great point. No, that's a great point. And then – Jocko comes in, uh, the charismatic monster stepdad, which is just, that is what it is. The charisma, life of the party, the man everyone loves who is a monster behind closed doors. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, really, obviously, unfortunately, could relate to that. And another thing I related to is uh, when she needs, like, money for acting lessons. And so, and they don't have it. And so she writes to her real dad and is Mm -hmm. like, can I have money for acting lessons? And he sends her and he immediately sends her the money and she's really surprised uh, same thing happened to me where i wanted dance lessons stepdad was like call your real dad by the <sighs> way still not my real dad but thought he was so i called him and i was like can i have money for for dance lessons and he was like he he made a bunch of barters with me he's like yeah you have to memorize all these poems and then it was very good i won't get into it uh i don't like any sort of transactional any sort oh, of transactional yeah. relationship with with a parental figure makes me very uncomfortable Oh, yeah. He used to barter child support with me, oh, but I wasn't oh, allowed Chelsea, to tell I'm so my sorry. mom. I'm he also s- never sent it. Okay. Oh, but, Chelsea, um, <laughs> so um, but I will say, uh, you know, he paid for like two dance classes and then just stopped and, and I sobbed and whatever. Sally's dad, years later when she gets famous, uses the $25 he sent her for the acting class to say, remember when I gave you that yes. money, can I have $5,000 oh, now? That moment was so painful. So painful. And I would take... I would take what happened to me any day over that happening to Sally. Like he using held on that to, to that ask sh- you for money. He held on to that shit for like as yes. he it was collateral. He was oh that's you can't tr- like you couldn't trust this man because it wasn't 
that money was always going to come back and haunt her. And how dare, yes. as a father, yes. how, how dare, dare you? He? How and dare it's, you? And it's, you know, you think like, okay, whatever, it's $5,000. She's making a lot of money. It's just, it's not that. It's the paternal that. role in a, in a child's life and how badly you're fucking it up and hurting yeah. And to oh, make so them, bad. and to, to <sighs> a child, I don't care how old, like it, you, to, to, to bring up the past as a way to get something for yourself now in a, as a parent, it's so wrong and Manip- disgusting and manipulative yes. and damaging. Damaging. Because- that's, that's absolutely the word damaging. And then on top of this, so trigger warning, childhood abuse, Jocko sexually abuses yeah. Sally mm-hmm. and it's written about really artfully, like poetically, almost to the point where I had I read it and then had to be like, wait, what is she? You know, and she's talking about how he'd have her walk on his back <sighs> to crack his back. Yeah. <sighs> um, and I it mean, would just, escalate yes. from there in a really upsetting way. And yeah, it, it almost you're like, wait, what's happening here? Because you don't because I think that's almost how the abuse was, where yes, it yes. started a little uncomfortable. You're like, oh, I'm walking on my stepdad's back. This doesn't feel great. I'm a child. But. Uh, but it's not totally wrong. And then it's, sl- and that's exactly how it's told where you, the reader, isn't sure what's happening at first. And then it escalates and you're like, oh my God, where are, like, and that's exactly, like he, she told it in a way that was almost like we were going through it the same way she was, which is like, yes. this doesn't feel right. Oh my God, what is, what is happening? This is wrong. Yes. I, that, that is such a great way of putting it. And I mean, like I, I walked on many a gentleman's back oh, and so it was really, but, but that did not, but the way he leads her to more is like, mm. you know, it's such a, it's such an innocent thing of like crack my back, I guess, or maybe it's not. Jesus. Well, okay, it's so, just, it, again, it's just, that's how he, that's how these men, these disgusting predatory men Yes. Started out, you know, with something that can feel very innocent, but has yes. a tinge of something strange. And she's a child. How is she supposed to fucking know? You know, and it's not her job to know. And, yeah. um, oh, I was so upset by the whole thing. And I had to put down the book um, a few times during that. And it comes yeah. in and out. It, there's sort of it, that abuse comes and goes and what's interesting too is that Jocko and her mom have a child together her half-sister who princess she, princess yeah <laughs> her, her nickname name. is princess and she kind of she's really I thought she did a great job of protecting her younger yes, sister she did. while also saying she was named princess and I was molested you yeah. know because and, and maybe if something happened with princess it's not noted in the yeah, book at all I don't know it we almost don't know feels it. like he chose the stepdaughter but Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to read a little page of the book. Yes, please. I couldn't hold anything in my head. What I could do was memorize a poem or focus completely on anything relating to the drama department, which luckily I discovered at this exact moment. Other than that, it was all a muted fog and floating through the fog was the familiar feeling of fear. Always I felt afraid. And so I think the fog came from the trauma and it only lifted when she's acting. Mm-hmm. Um And And she was super present when she was acting. Like, that became her therapy, her safe place. Um, And that's why she needed it so bad, it seems, and took it so personally. Every, you know, like, an actor's life is is so tough in terms of, like, the, the amount of rejection. So, like, when she got rejected, I think she took it so hard. Like, she took it so personally. Yes. And, and I mean, and I really want to get into the acting stuff later because I have so many intense feelings. But yes, the, 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 the fog lifted when she was acting. So then it's her safe space. But then also um, the, the, the fog of just 
the book of her life of her brain and i think i think i think you can heal the fog (laughs) (laughs) i think it is a distinctive symptom of trauma and i hope it's healable because i also could i could relate to a lot of that and and on stage being the safe place because that is when you're the only time you're like present like you said and you're in control you know what i mean um even in comedy i feel very safe on stage when i'm in control when i feel I'm in control of what's happening. I'm I'm in control of the experience. And then I can also feel very unsafe acting if I feel other people are in control or if I'm not, if I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. Um, yeah, which can make for a hellish of an improv time, yeah. Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure, for um, sure. And then, so the book begins, I didn't read the first page of the book because I, I thought there's better pages to read, but mm-hmm. the book title In Pieces is her really talking about her life with her mom mm-hmm. and how it's the pieces and she's trying to put the piece Uh, the pieces back together. So I wanted to read, um, I wanted to read the page that I think really leads into that theme. So this is really, really sweet story of, you know, she's not liked at school and she doesn't have friends. And she's kicked out one of the girl, kicked out of one of the girl groups, which uh, to me, like she tells that in a way where I'm like, I think this is just kid shit. Like she tells it in a way that's so intense where I'm like, no, I think you were shy and kids are ridiculous and like just because i can see it even with my daughter and her friends now it's like yeah one kid like i was just like sally you're taking a little too seriously like this is oh, yeah <laughs> I, I think because it is her life theme mm-hmm. to be embarrassed and not feel liked this is like a huge part of yeah, that where you're like, like no that's just yeah. it's just kid shit like how many that's fucking girl groups have i been kicked out oh, of? please a lot, <laughs> a lot. I'm like too many every day i was like you're I'm, not we're our still f- kicked out of girl groups me too i'm like you're not our friend anymore okay fine like but th- right. and that's why i was like that's why I was like, all right, Sally, like, you're fine. Like, yeah, you're fine. (laughs) You're fine. But it was so sweet. She uh, locks herself in the closet and her mom, who she calls Ba. Yeah, she does. She says, Ba sat on the carpet talking to me through the crack under the door for hours. She was always like that. Whenever I felt I'd hit a hopeless dead end, she had a way of making me think of alternative routes by suggesting a long list of choices I hadn't seen. And even though most of them were maddeningly unacceptable, her ability to look for that little bit of sunshine in a situation that seemed pitch black always gave me the sense that if everything went out, I had a backup generator, my mother. Hmm. And so, okay, tell me what you think of this. Um, the book is uh, in pieces. She's like, I'm yes. in pieces. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. This is what I would say is the problem, is the in pieces puzzle if I were going to solve it. Mm-hmm. Her mother was her life force the love of her life, everything good in her life and, and is her backup generator and really lives with her for, Mm -hmm. for uh, much of her adult life and is the reason why she can have this career. And her mom allowed Jocko into her life, did not help or see the abuse or was blind to it and was supposed to be her protector and failed, but not out of malice. Mm -hmm. So it's like the person you love, who is your everything allowed an abuser to abuse you. And that itself is a form of abuse. Her, mom abused her through that way she didn't protect and her. how do you deal with that emotionally and i feel like that book is her starting with like how do i figure out this relationship with my mom and by the end of it sort of getting to this place of like i loved and hated my mom and i'm trying to figure out why yes and i do think that that is the one thing she did solve by the end of the book like i don't think she has solved her trauma but she has solved her relationship to her mother which is a lot of the reason for her trauma. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, she sort of figured yeah. out, like, how to love her mother, even though her mother, in her mind, let this happen, if you will. Yes. But so her relationship with her mother does get 
fixed in that way. Yes. Yes. I totally agree because at the end, and that's the thing about the book, like they're, they're droplets everywhere, but yeah. I had to walk away and be like, wait, she did. She did solve that. But yeah, they were not the kind problem of, you think she's going to solve. You think she's yes. going to solve the trauma of her life. No, she's solving the, her relationship with her mother. Right. And, and I thought she pointed out something really, really uh, interesting, which is like in order to love her mom, she had to hate herself in order to have one protector in her life. She had to take on the faults of her mom so that her mom could be a parent. And so that's where all her self-hate comes from, I think, because she is um, she has to take on the burden so that she can have someone who loves her, because if not, then she has two abusers in her life. Yeah. And there were so many, um, there's a great quote in it, but it's the epilogue. I, I feel like I'm jumping ahead, but please, please, which is just how you, and, and I take this to heart too, because I'm a mother of a young girl. And yep. so I, I think about that all the time. Am I protecting my child? Am I protecting her too much? Am I protecting her too little? Am I preparing her for the world? You know, yeah. like I, yeah. I constantly think that, especially in the face of predators and, um, and I think about that probably too much. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm always like, God, like, I don't know. Like, I'm constantly like, nobody touches her vagina. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, and I even say to her, like, not even mommy and daddy. Like, I, like, and no one yes, touches your body. Good. And I say, like, good. if you say even um, your body, that's the only thing that you have, like, totally control over. So you can say to mommy and daddy, you can't touch my body. Like, even if you don't want to hug, you can say to mommy and daddy, I don't want to hug. I think this is great. But, but, you know, like, I'm probably going overboard because then I'm like, <laughs> why won't you let me hug you? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this great... Um, at the end, she says, how you care for your child from the time they are born until they're 18 is important. But who you are as a person and parent for as long as you live also counts and counts one hell of a lot. And I just felt like that was <sighs> such a big. Yeah. Yeah. Because she really is. I will say, and we just have to skip to the end because we're just in it, yeah. which is her mom definitely witnesses some uh, intense physical violence between Sally and her stepdad. And we will have to skip, uh, why am I saying that? Sally and Jocko. I'm only ever calling him Jocko. Um, I'm not giving him even the title of stepdad. Yes, he has Jocko. to be Jocko. He's such a Jocko. He He's a Jocko. Um, and so we have to skip a lot of the details, but it's like really fascinating. When she's 14, she stops the abuse. She stops, um, uh, she really puts a stand and then they they go to war together. Mm -hmm. And then there's times where they're manipulate. He's trying to manipulate her and she's trying to stand up for herself. And he, he's physically throwing her into a wall over and over again. Her mom sees that. <sighs> and he's also abusing her mom. He's yeah. breaking her mom down the drinking problem. Her mom takes on to prob to survive this herself. Mm -hmm. And way, way, way later in life, right before, right when she's probably about to start writing this book and before her mom dies, she tells her mom about the abuse. And her mom says, I know oh, this I is know. so painful. <laughs> He told, and she goes, how do you know? And she's writing it. She, this is why it's unprocessed trauma because she's actually printed a journal page. It's not like a clear perspective. It's a journal of what happened in that time. Mm -hmm. And her mom said, I know. Uh, he told me once when he was drunk that he put his, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put anyone in the podcast through this, that, that of, of, a, of a thing, a physical thing he did to her and that he was drunk and he regretted it and it ruined him and he really needed her mom's forgiveness. And she's like, I can't believe he did that. And Sally says, no, mom, it was my whole childhood. It wasn't just one time. And her mom says, you're lying. You're lying because it's too much for her mom's brain. Uh, it, it, the reaction to that. And then what I thought was incredible 
is the next morning her mom comes downstairs and is like, I'm sorry, you are not alone. Tell me every single detail. I'm taking this on with you. I'm crying because... Uh, Me too. That was like... Because the night before, like her mom, like to to reveal that to your mom and for your mom to say, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. It could have just ended there. But then her mom, you know, just thought about it and realized like, and she's old at this point and sick at this point. And she just, she does, she takes it on and she says, you're not alone in this. And that's what Sally needed to hear at that moment, even though Sally at this point is like in her fifties or whatever. Like she says, like, just to have you finally, like her mother said to her, like, I'm here to take care of, like, t- too little, too late, sure. But, like, yeah. it doesn't matter because you still need it. You still want it. You still want your mom. You know what I mean? You want your mom oh to take gosh. care of you. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Obviously, like- my mommy issues are coming out. But, like, you know, yeah. like, even if it's too late, you just want your mom to see what happened and to tell you you're not alone. And I feel like that's what we want, you know. It's never too late. I mean, I'm not saying that the trauma isn't there and she still has a lot to work with, but like just to have that moment before her mom died of just like, I'm here. You will not have to process this alone. Like that meant so yeah. much to me. <laughs> I, I totally I agree. Now we're to Sally, but it meant a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I, please don't because I also, um, I, I mean, because, yeah, it takes a lot to unwind trauma, but nothing is more powerful than than not being alone. Mm-hmm. And and I think to, to validate that it happened. Yeah. Because I think when you um, you look around, like everyone's pretending like everything's fine, you incur a second trauma, which is mm-hmm. that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And to have her mom say, um, like, I'm in this with you and to take it. To see her and to hear her and to say, I'll fight it with you. Sally never even needed to tell her anything and no. never did. She just needed her mom. She needed her mom. Oh, my gosh. So that oh. was. <laughs> Can we talk about Burt Reynolds now? No. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the rest of the book. <laughs> Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir 
but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Welcome back. <laughs> now, another okay. thing I love about Hollywood, I love old Hollywood and I love like stories of old, you know what I mean? Like I'm mm-hmm. such a glutton for like, tell me about Jimmy Stewart. Tell like, tell me about anyone, you know, of the Hollywood golden age, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. Like I am, I just want to hear it all. Like if you have a great yes. Catherine Hellman story, like, give it to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't... <laughs> That is so funny. (laughs) You know, like I just have such a love. So we got little stories sprinkled in about the monkeys and like, you know, she was on Gidget and then she was like, and she was kind of a prude, as she said, like I didn't party. And then like in the studio, like across the way were the monkeys and they were like these hippies and they were like getting high and smoking up and they were so disgusting to her and they were like rude. (laughs) Even when she tells the story, she's like talking about how they're kind of ribbing on her. And she's like, well, well, weren't they enjoying themselves? Like, <laughs> and she's like literally sitting there in a nun habit from the flying nun. Yeah. That story was so funny to me. Um, yeah. Let's hit some highlights and then let's get to Bert. Yeah. Um, so some quick highlights is that she takes uh, after Gidget, she, which is oh, one season my- long again. Yes. One season long, then kind of finds a success, success afterwards. So, Okay. Then ABC, this the same people write the flying nun for her. Mm-hmm. She does and not want to do no. it. Yeah. She says no, she doesn't want to do it. She's like, I'm and, a real actress. I want to be doing like real stuff. Yes. And somehow they call Jocko, who is no longer a working actor, and they're like, go convince Sally to do this. He goes over to her house. You know, she's uh, 19 or 20 at this point. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you don't take the flying nun, you'll never work again. <sighs> Which I and, get that fear of like, because I'm one of oh, those yeah. people as a writer and an actress that for so long was afraid to say no to anything. Like I was like, I'm, I'm a workhorse. Like I'm just going to go, go, yes. go. I'm going to make money. I'm going to support myself. Like, so I would say yes to everything. So I understand that like panic, that vibe of like, okay, I'm just going to say yes, even if it doesn't feel right because I I, I got to support people and I got to support my family. And yes, I get Gosh, that. you know, and maybe that, because, okay, because her, her being so embarrassed of being the flying nun. I mean, even now she's writing the book in her seventies. She's so embarrassed of being the flying nun. It really made me mad. But I think it's because... <laughs> I loved the show, P.S., so who am I? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I was mad because I was like, you... you, I, And yeah, I think it's because I'm currently in You Say Yes to Everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I have done so many debasing things that oh. I did proudly because it was a paycheck that wasn't coming from waitressing. Yeah, so I was I'm like, thrilled. yes, I'm in the murder mystery improv oh, show. I did I feel it all. great. 
I yes, did it and so all. I think I was so mad of like, why are you so embarrassed to be on this TV show of this comedy? I kind of had this like, you're so lucky. <laughs> you know? That's um, our she's shit. She's like, though. I hate it. That's that our is shit. our shit. You're right. You're right. You're right. So then that one brings me to a story we cannot skip, which is um, there's a, a high school boyfriend, Steve, who who's who really sounds incredible, uh, but also not good for her in many I ways. I did not love Steve. I'm going to be honest. I know. Wow, wow, wow. I know. It's a shockeroo. Okay. Just... Let me say why I loved him. You told me why you didn't love okay. him. Um, I loved him because she clearly was a woman who had gone through a lot of fucking trauma and had a lot of fucking shit going on. And he came into her home, knew that about her, loved her through it, and was one of her protectors when she had nobody. Right, I didn't think he him? had any ambition. <laughs> Well, that's also true. That's true. Um, that's, that's the so, trade-off. <laughs> and I'd rather have ambition than love. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, though, because his lack of ambition is what is going to ruin yes. their relationship. I found it very unattractive. <laughs> it's, it is very unattractive. And and he, even more than lack of ambition, he, because she's the breadwinner, he stifles her from doing what she wants to do in exactly. life. So she and, has to end the relationship with him. And he also, like... He's there for her, he's there for her, he's there for he. But he's the reason why she has to do stuff she doesn't want to do sometimes. Because exactly, he's like, exactly. He does that Jocko thing, which is like, well, you should take it. You should be happy. Like, so Because he needs the money because he doesn't exactly, make it. Exactly, because he doesn't. Yes. So I didn't. So it's like, yeah, he's there for her to a point. But self, yes. but he's also selfish in that she he, she really wants her biggest dream. The thing that makes her happiest, obviously, besides her you know, children and stuff, is acting true acting um yeah. you know yeah. respected or not like she really wants to be this real actress and, and he- i do not but <laughs> <laughs> well exactly <laughs> me neither <laughs> i mean okay we have to talk about uh the marriage and then we have to get to to acting so what is so crazy is that she and steve on and off again and then um and then uh at, at a certain point he comes to her and he's like hey i met someone else I'm going to marry them. Yes. And she's on the flying nun at this point. And she's like, no, no, don't get married because he had been a rock for her. And again, because of fear that she would lose him as opposed to desire to want to marry him, she's he's like, well, I'm going to marry this other girl unless you marry me. And she's like, great, I'll marry you. So they get married. Now, here's what I thought was fucking crazy. The other girl he was dating and about to marry and had talked to, literally, he's like, I talked to her about you, Sally. She's a little, she feels a little bad about you, Sally, because you're my long-term girlfriend, And but she and I are going to get married. Okay, so when Sally said no to the flying nun, she said no so many times that they actually started shooting the flying nun without her. The actress who played the flying nun is... The woman that Steve is going to marry. I mean, to lose out twice. To not only just lose the flying nun once you've had it and lose your fiance to the same woman. (laughs) She is. I mean, she is on set as the flying nun and gets fired and then gets engaged and and the (laughs) same girl takes him. And Sally kind of has it as like a it's tough because it was the same girl. And 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 this is a segment of Celebrity Book Club that I am starting called. Women, we need to check on, <laughs> and we need to check on her and see if she is okay. I she's googled not her. I looked okay. her up. She's is a she teacher. Okay? She's look from the internet. She seems happy, and Good. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust the internet. <laughs> Please trust and, the um, internet. We also need to check on Anne Renee from Celine Dion's book. That is the the wife of her manager. Oh. He he left her for the teen client he had signed. Oh. Celine Dion. 
Women we need to check on. That, that's your segment. Women, we do need to check on both of these ladies because I don't both know how you come ladies. back from that trauma. That's a also, double, like, a double a, doozy. A, a double doozy. And it's tough because Sally's story is so painful. In the middle and of it, you're like, this brush it woman. off. I know. She's just like, and yeah, same woman who yeah, I took It's crazy. Her. It was the same woman. <laughs> She's like, anywho. Like, also, cute. Steve, how did that... Steve, I have questions. How did you, how did you find that? Are you dating a certain type of actress? Or um, It's so strange. I almost forgot it, is, it. It's so weird that I almost blocked it out. Totally, totally. Okay, now we have to talk about the acting stuff, which, again... Is this hitting my own personal stuff? Because I recoil, I physically recoiled at these parts of the book mm-hmm. where there's a story where she's on set and mm-hmm. um, she breaks down on set and she's like, I can't go, you know, please let me go. Please let me go home. Please let me go home. I'll be better tomorrow. And the actress on set, uh, uh, um, the older actress who. Yes. The, Madeline. She, I forget her name. But yeah, she was. It played the, like, Mother Superior or whatever, and she's also, yes. like, this world-renowned, like, stage actress. Yes, and she's like, get her off set, get her off set. And then she writes a story about how she came back to set, and Madeline's like, here's an address on a piece of paper. I need you to meet me there. And I'm like, oh, thank God. So- someone's going to get Sally into therapy. Oh, so great. She opens the piece of paper. It's the actor's studio. <laughs> and she's like, meet me at the actor's studio. Have you heard of it? And Sally's like, I saw the challenge in her eyes, and I said, I'll be there. And um, anyways, this... This I shouldn't be making fun of it because no, the actress I understand is why you are though. Yes, because yes. you would think at that moment that she's in that that's a therapist office or something. But I will say this, okay? Because there's a part of me that's a cheesy actress. I have since yes. moved past that. But I, yes. you know, I went to acting school. We I went to the same. Oh acting yes, school. we went to the same. <laughs> <acting school. laughs> so I understand. Like, so there's there's a fork in the road, and you can kind of go either way. And we chose. The, 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 other, the way. other way. But I do feel like when you f- sometimes greater than therapy is the feeling of a place where you belong. You know what I'm yep. saying? And so yep. she loved acting so much to find a place where you feel like you fit in, where there are like minds when you like sometimes that's just as good as therapy is just to feel um, home. Gosh, you're so right. You're so right. And I I will add on top of that, mm-hmm. a lot of acting exercises, not all of them, some mm-hmm. of them are very bad for you, but some of them are therapeutic exercises. Yes. And I actually don't like those exercises. What, oh, those are the only ones I like. No, I don't. I don't like those. I never liked that sort of like acting as therapy stuff. But what I did like, so that's the part of acting that I was like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, just act people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I come from the school of like, you act like it. Like, you don't have to like get there. Again, yes. did not make it as an actress. That might be why. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very, very surface. But I do also know that when I have felt my loneliest, when I have felt my lowest, that places where I could just have a lot, la- like for me, it was the Upright Citizens Brigade, um, just a place where I could have some laughs with people that felt strongly about the same thing that I felt strongly about. So it wasn't yes. the exercises. It was just the friendship and the camaraderie and us all sort of like working at a same goal. That Gosh, type of thing. You nailed it. Okay, you're so right. I'm back in. So <laughs> the part of me that recoiled from all the acting stuff is the part of me that went to acting school and that, you know, it's like, duh, 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 and I was like, oh, oh kill no. me. There's a certain elitism yes. to the teaching of acting that yes. I just physically can't take. And I've had and those acting teachers, as I'm sure you did, that were like, same, you're, you're, you're boring. And you're like, oh, fuck off. But. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That shit, uh, that like, that, um, that Lee Strasberg 
Um, yes, which is who who literally is her teacher and yeah. changes her life. And she's so into acting and acting is a self-important exercise. Yeah. Like, that's just what it is. And so then I would get mad at the personalities that create actors. And it all just comes from going to acting school and has nothing to do with Sally, everything to do with me. But I will say when I found comedy and the Second City in Chicago and I.O., my, my whole life changed. Exactly. My whole life changed. I I was in excruciating levels of pain every second of my life until I found exactly. Comedy. So you found your place, and so like yes. I didn't take because I hate that shit too. I'm always like, oh god, an acting like I hate that like acting as there. Like I am not, and 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 I laugh at it and I joke at it. Again, helpful for some people, but when I zoom out, I know that like no, it's just finding that place where you feel seen and you feel like you belong and you feel home. And so yes, that's you're what so I right. And that is her most stable force in life becomes the actor studio. And she also wrote something about how um acting for her is and I and I feel this way with comedy. It is her lifeline. It is literally what keeps her sane and moving and and it's like oxygen. And mm-hmm. so when someone like Steve her husband is cutting and it's silly because what he's doing is say, saying, take take these stupid sitcom roles. And she's like, but I'm an actor. And to take the sitcom role to her is like pulling her away from acting. Mm-hmm. And she can't lose it because it's the only thing that makes her feel okay. And so she divorces Steve and starts to pursue the real yes. work. And I love that. I loved when she yeah. divorced Steve. I did not like Steve. I understood that he was good for her at the time, but I did not like him. Her mother didn't like her him for her and yeah, told which her also not tough to too because he's uh, b- yeah lovely yeah. to the mother <laughs> but also she she writes in the book you know there was one when she's pregnant with her child with steve she's that she's in this really loving time with him and she says i had that once in life and maybe that's enough to which i say no it is not enough no, go not get enough. you some more go get let's get her more. on tinder right now <laughs> um so um okay so yes so great we, we handled the acting thing and my feelings about like a real actor no. versus silly sitcom comedian um are not important to this story but did flare up for me <laughs> um and also i should say the the divorce ends when they build a house. Yes. And I will say my mom, who I call T-Mom Z, because she's she's the gossip of other areas. Yes. She's T-Mom Z. Um, she's always told me, like, house renova- house renovations will end a marriage. Oh, can I tell <laughs> you? We, I just moved. Yes, um, you did. I Literally two days ago. And so you were looking in the Zoom at a, 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 a very a empty new house. <laughs> it's beautiful. But my husband and I were um, renovating this house. Not a, not a huge, like, I think they did a knockdown tear out, but... I am not a person that does that well. I don't like it. And it will tear a marriage. It, I mean, we're okay. Yeah, but yeah we're good. We're so, but yes, we're it good, will. We're good, but solid. But it That's is so tough, funny. man. It is. My mom has always said that to me because she also worked in construction when she was younger. So I think she's just this thing where she's like, watch out. You start renovating. Everything in your life is going down. I get and, it. I get it. I mean, and again, yeah. I, moving to is tough. Like anything. Oh, yeah. Like I, I'll, I'll, I'll. And she writes in the book, had we not built this house, we may still be married. <laughs> but I'm glad that they did because yeah, they got yeah. to the root of it. And that yeah. opened her up for one Burt Reynolds. <laughs> one Burt Reynolds. Okay, so <laughs> Burt Reynolds is, even when she's writing about Burt Reynolds, uh, it is from a place where she's like, maybe if I write it down, I'll finally understand it. And she just kind of writes it down it's and insane. moves on. It's insane. And so, Daniel, just so you know, we did a Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds competing divorce memoir episode for Valentine's Day wow. where we read uh, his memoir in 1994 and his ex-wife's memoir, Lonnie, in 1995 and really went into it. And 
Who boy? I, I mean, and he's a real piece of shit. He's a he's, real he's piece a, of shit. He's a Jocko. He is mm-hmm. a Jocko. Okay, tell me your some of your Burt Reynolds highlights. Okay. I got where, like, she saw him. He's she, They're in Georgia doing Cannonball Run. He's some, like, hot, like, like just kind of like. King. Yeah, he's the, the prom, prom king. king. And she's the girl that was never liked. And as a Floridian, he we had the Burt Reynolds dinner seater. It was very famous yes, growing yes. up in <laughs> Florida. So I know from once from once I speak is he's a real hero in Florida. You know he's our mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a hometown mm-hmm. boy. Okay, gotcha. so I get and he, there is there's something so sexy about that young, like oh, hyper masculine Burt Reynolds. But but when he like treats her like shit, doesn't want her to take roles, needs her there all the time, but treats her like shit. Like, he has to be the star. He doesn't want her to, like, basically speak or talk or feel anything. He doesn't want her kids around. The fact that she had to fucking, like, make her dinner for her kids, then go make a separate dinner, or, like, take the dinner that she made for him to his fucking house, and then come home before the kids were up. Like, that stressed me out, that, like, lifestyle of, like... Oh, my God. Actually, I want to read... I highlighted this to read on the podcast. Oh, so me out. that page is crazy. And it's not even like the worst thing that happens, but I also read it and I was like, ah! Torn in two, I'd fix dinner for my boys, put them to bed, give them a quick back rub, then pack up the dinner I had prepared for Bert. Making sure my mother had his phone number, I'd then drive to Holmby Hills and serve dinner to the man in my life. The next morning, I'd get up in the wee hours, drive home, fix breakfast for the kids, and take them to school. I can still see my mother standing at the kitchen sink holding a cup of hot coffee in one hand and her robe closed with the other. She'd watch me saying nothing as I slammed through the back door in a race to beat the morning. She'd say nothing in the evening as she watched me pack up the car, not hindering but not helping, while I covered the flank steak with tinfoil to keep the marinade from spilling on the drive back to Bert's. <laughs> this bitch bringing him marinade? And you, to marinate, you have to marinate for hours. You can't just put that on. <laughs> That's not a simple marinade. That's not a simple I marinade. You mean, gotta put it in the fridge for a few hours. <laughs> ooh, ooh, and, you know, I can relate to... You're you're the you're the freaky weird girl. So when the prom king wants to date you, you are like whatever it takes, buddy. But this is also what he did to Lonnie, and he uses his ailments to take up attention and oxygen in the room. He uses his ailments to get out of conversations, including both of them talked about and they're psychosomatic to to him. ailments, right? Like there because when she took him to a doctor, there was literally nothing. She was hoping there was something wrong. Well, like, it's crazy because he definitely is a major drug and pill addict and goes through crazy stuff but also yeah you're right some of it was psychosomatic or anxiety but uses it to be like hey Bert this thing is happening in my life and he'd be like oh my heart my heart and like they could just never talk about it yes um I I also have to say you said um he didn't want her to take roles so in his goddamn memoir he says I'm the one who told Sally Field to take Norma Ray and that she was gonna get an Oscar and I just believed in her the whole time and in her memoir she says I got the role, and he said, you only want to play this because you want to play a whore. <sighs> that struck and, me in my heart. I mean. And she's he's just like, this role sucks. You suck. Constantly putting her down. And anything she does is in spite of him. Mm-hmm. And the, I will say the, the part of me where I like threw the book and was like, I'm going to kill him. And then I was like, he's already dead. <laughs> was when she is nominated for an mm. Emmy for Sybil. And he manipulates her to the point 
of, of, of thinking she's so ridiculous to even care or go that she does not go to the Emmys. He is in the bedroom with one of his ailments. She is watching the TV at such a low volume that he cannot find out that she's watching her own Emmys to that she would even care and be so stupid. She watches herself win an Emmy while hiding from Burt Reynolds in their house. And I was like, she didn't even get to wear a dress. I'm going to kill him. (laughs) He's a monster of epic proportions. And like to have him think that he inspired, like how delusional does he have to be? We all know who you are, Burt Reynolds. Like this is none of us like. Yes. He's a piece of shit. And she even said in interviews, like, I'm glad Burt isn't around to see what I wrote about him because it would hurt him. And I'm like, Sally, Sally, Sally wishes Ghost was here paging through currently so he can be learning some goddamn lessons. Um, She drives his dog around because the dog gets lonely. And now listen, do I drive my dog around because he gets lonely? Sure, I do do too. But it's my dog. Exactly. It's my dog. It's my choice. My dog, my choice. My dog, my choice. He gave her a two-seater car and she was like, Bert, I have children. He's like, no, not to me, you don't. And she's like, well, even then I'm driving your damn dog around. And he's like, nah, I don't care. Figure it out. So she drives around in this tiny car with his dog. That relationship is so fucked up. It's It's so fucked up. It is so fucked up. And she's not even writing like it's so fucked up. She's just kind of like writing what happened. Yeah. Also, she, I would say in three, three, she gives three words to the fact that it got physical. No more details. But yeah, says there's no more physical. details about that. So it, 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 you're not quite clear on what's going on. But yes. he's a monster. And I didn't he's know. I had heard, you know, through the grapevine things, but I hadn't read, you know, any other books. But well, and what I also think was tough is that when Lonnie's book came out, it's like a he said, she said. I think it was kind of clear you could see Bert was a prick, but people were still on his side. And it's it's a bummer that now Sally's book came out in 2018 to really say, like, no, Lonnie was correct. This is what happened. This is who he was. And he did it to many women. And also, um, I think if there is a cookie out there, someone in the book club, if one of the cookies <laughs> really had it in them to read Lonnie Anderson's book and Sally Field and study when they uh, – what jobs they they have taken in the book that they're talking about while they're dating Burt Reynolds, I think we could prove that he heavily overlapped them, possibly for a year. <laughs> this is my theory, unproven. I didn't do the math. I I've been, I was too busy to do the math, but I was like, I bet he might have fully on been like engaged to both of them for a year and they didn't know about it. Wow. Um, also, she writes at one point, he gave her a diamond ring, but doesn't say if it's a proposal or not. It's all so odd. He's it's an odd, odd guy. Um, one thing I will say, and I forgot to say, and this is kind of off subject, but I'm looking through like Please. my notes. Take, take us through that, the things we got to hit as we close um, out. Is that when she, we shared an OBGYN. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Sally Fields and I shared an OBGYN. Now I okay. will say, she talks about um, Dr. Paul Crane, and he would eventually become a prominent OBGYN in Los Angeles, and I will never forget him. He is not my OBGYN, but his partner, Dr. Chin, delivered my child. And so th- there was Crane and Chin, and um, Crane sort of handled people like Kim Kardashian and like more um, like Beyonce and like those type of clients, those clients that didn't those, have like- Those vaginas. Yes, those, they didn't have insurance. Like they, or like they didn't need insurance. Like I was, I had like WGA insurance. <laughs> <to> like, <laughs> like I was always like my, Dr. Chan like, was like- I don't take that, I take diamonds No, he doesn't take insurance. Bags. Like he's just like, you figure it out, but he doesn't take insurance basically or okay. wasn't at the time. <laughs> And so, but he would sometimes like come around, like if, you know, while you're giving birth or whatever, like, you know, they switch on and off. And so he was just like there for one of my appointments. And so I was 
like, oh that's, my god, that's Dr. Crane. But um, but so his partner, the story about him is really cool because he was brand new yes. when Sally Field had her baby, and and now her he's an elderly. There. He's an elder, handsome gentleman now. I've heard oh, handsome. Ooh, Good. Yeah. Give him that plug because he doesn't take insurance. So no, he's that was a very handsome. I heard Dr. T and the women is based on him. That Richard Gearbook was like the sexy oh. OBGYN. Anyway, um, he's very handsome and good looking and like, woof, woof. Oh my gosh. Oof. And the stories of her giving birth and the time she gave birth in. Oh, circling back to say her abortion was in 1964, that she was driven down to Tijuana. Jocko was the kind of the savior who arranged this <sighs> CD abortion because, you know, it was illegal at the time. And really taking you through what women's health care was like, both as um, if you're having a baby or not having a baby, this book gives you an oh. account that will make your vagina seal up. Oh, yeah. Like this was one of bag. the worst things I've ever heard. It, oh, was yeah, it was like, really th- tough. Th- and thank every God. Time. And another reason why Roe versus, versus Wade and was very important and why uh, having access to uh, legal abortion is one of the most important healthcare things that women can have. But anyway. Yes. And also <laughs> people who take insurance. But another. Yes. I'm still mad anyway, about it. Okay. Dr. Chin does take insurance. Everybody. Okay. So. Hot plug. Hot plug. <laughs> um, if you go to Dr. Chin, you can share a gynecologist with Danielle. Yes. You, heard it, you heard it here first. Um mm-hmm. Or an OBGYN. There's yes, a difference. Exactly. Okay. He delivered my gorgeous daughter. Oh, I love that. Okay. A few things we have to hit before this podcast ends. So uh, something else crazy in the book is that she, you know, she's she's just like plagued by being the flying nun. And she's like, I'm going to be a real actress so bad. And so when she makes the jump, she does um, this movie. Oh, what is the movie? Well, Sybil, but she makes a d- one before Sybil. That's the one I'm talking about. Yes, I can't remember the name of it. But, but like back when movies of the week weren't like, they weren't cheesy. They were sort of like between TV and movies. There was a time, I think during the 70s, I want to say, where like a movie of the week was something like, because TV was really looked down upon. Like now we're in the heyday yeah. of TV. But back then, like TV was considered like like a step above like crap. So, so I, I, I will say in acting school, I remember, I distinctly remember saying the phrase, I would never do commercials. I'm a real actor. <laughs> and and maybe two months into having to pay my student loans, I was like, please let me eat a hamburger on screen. <laughs> I think I always knew that I would do anything and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, think I I think I always had respect for whatever. It oh took. no, I, I had a full year where I was like, I'm an actor. And then no, I, and I, I was knew like, my oh, place. No, I'm not. Again, I no, think I'm it not. was from playing like drunk man in Guys and Dolls and not being the sort of like ingenue ever. Um, but I knew my place so within the um, within the scope of things. Doctrine world. I never well, thought that I was going to be anything important. Oh yeah, for, for a second I was like, I'm going to be a Broadway actor. And then I did a monologue and I was like, never mind. <laughs> I will only be it if it's funny. Um, so, okay. So she's like, I got to get this role and they won't let her test and they won't let her audition. They won't let her in the room. So she's just sending in tapes on her own. And they're like, you're a joke. You're the flying nun. So she finally gets an audition. And she goes in and she's like, um, I was staring right at Charles, um, the actor who, who never even looked up at me. I'm reading now with deliberate calmness. I held my script in the air, let it drop to the ground, then moved to the writer who became completely befuddled as I tossed his screenplay to the side and straddled him. Now I had his full attention and with a titillated smirk, he stuttered. I don't know the words slowly lowering myself onto his lap. I replied, yes, you do. If not fake it, the scene continued, but it was not the scene they'd heard 20 times before. 
before, nor was the second one they asked me to do read. And when I sensed they had run out of material, I grabbed my script, looked Rafelson in his now smugless face, thanked him, and left the room and the building. Bam. And she gets the role. <laughs> but you're also like, oh, that's a real bummer you have to do all that. It's a bummer you just straddle the but writer she kind pretend of has you're a sexy to- lady. It's um, it's her whole story. She, it never comes easy to Sally. I will say this, that she worked hard for every role she got. She constantly had to fight for every role yeah. and impress some man. So whether it was that writer or years later into her 50s and 60s when she has to impress oh, Steven Spielberg I and Daniel that. Day-Lewis. Like she can never just fuck it. Like she hasn't, she earned her chops and, enough. So I was yes. sort of angry at like, the, here she has to go again. And like, it's never enough. It's like having to like go above and beyond to impress some fucking man. I started to, during that Daniel, I, I have a quote and I know I'm skipping up, but it, skip, skip. Yeah. But, but I do feel like it's, it, it was an amalgam of everything that she had to do was like, she had to like dress. She had been given like the part of Mary Todd Lincoln and Lincoln, you know, this is like five or six years ago or whatever. And then they sort of like took it away. They didn't promise to do it, but like they wanted her to do the part, but then it went from this director to that director and this writer and that she was supposed to be with Liam Neeson. Then he dropped out. That is to say, finally, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, our, the best actor of the generation, takes over. And then it's like, oh, we just don't think you're good for Daniel Day-Lewis. And so she has to, like, impress him again. She has to literally dress up as fucking Mary Todd Lincoln and deal, like, who's got make that costume? Make her own tape. Yeah, who's got just that make costume a tape and send sitting the fuck around? Truly, and, then, and they won't test her. She yeah. has to do it on her own. And so then they finally are like, okay, we'll test you. And then I have this quote where, like, where is, okay, um, wait, sorry, let me. So she's there. They do a scene together, like they're really feeling it. The sort of like relationship that Mary Todd and and Lincoln had. And she said, "When I buried my face in his chest, whispering, thank you." So it's like her, the actress, and her, the character, thanking him for like letting her act with him during this audition. Yes. And he put his face in my hair, replying, "My honor." But I was like, fuck but, you, Daniel uh, Day Lewis. Fuck you, Steven Spielberg. She, it's, I wanted it to be the other. I wanted her to be in charge. Like, and again, it's not her fault. It's the fucking world, and it's the fucking Hollywood, yes. and it's just like. But I was so furious that she has to fucking grovel and dress and 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 work so goddamn hard when she deserves to be the one saying, "Yeah, I'll fucking play Mary Todd Lincoln," because no one can act the shit out of this. And like, I just was so angry that she is constantly having to ask men to perform. Yes, I. First off. That's giving curious. you the fucking anger, Oscar. <laughs> yes, that's the anger we need. And secondly, um, yes, completely, completely. And I think even to just reframe that, she had two Academy Awards. Yes! Two-time Academy Award-winning actress Sally Field had to audition to play Mary Todd Lincoln. And and that was infuriating. And, and she also seems understanding of it because that's the position she's been put in her whole her life. Her whole life. Like, Beth, and like, she's like, yeah, I get it. It was Daniel Day-Lewis. It's like, you are Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes, and you've been you doing it Daniel longer. Day-Lewis. You've been doing it longer. Your career is so prolific, so long, longer than any, was longer than fucking his, but you're still in a position to have to basically beg Daniel fucking Day-Lewis to get you this part when you have two, you have just as many, if not more Academy fucking awards as he does. Like, God but, damn yes, it. Absolutely. And also, uh, you're, 
we're seeing like, oh, Sally Field really had to do this. I want to say every woman. Yes. I don't. I don't know a story of one woman who was given the respect she was deserved ever. <laughs> Big statement, Chelsea, standing behind it. And even in that other movie when she goes in and, you know, really gets their attention, the director still makes her come over and get topless for him. Yes. I forgot Says he has to look at the camera angles that'll shoot her boobs at. Hey, guess what, buddy? Any camera angle will catch a boob. Yeah, but whatever. any camera will do. <laughs> any camera will do. Point it at the boobs. You'll see them. You'll see them. He then makes her kiss him. Says, I can't work with an actor unless I know they're a good kisser. And she does it. And she says, I had to get the role. But in doing so, I lost my dignity. Well, Sharon Stone just came out recently. And that's, I want to read that book coming out. We are covering that (gasps) memoir the second it drops on this (sighs) podcast. But she said something recently in an interview where like when she was doing Basic Instinct, again, I don't give a shit. It's a very sexual role. Who cares? That's like, you should sleep with your co-star, like Michael Douglas. And like, like, fuck you. Fuck all these fucking dudes. have to do anything. All she has to do is goddamn act. I get, it got me angry. It got Extremely me so angry. angry. And also, you know, no offense, but like, I didn't even see that movie. I fell like, asleep in it. There you yeah, go. So it's just like, and this is her, this is how the book ends. The role of Mary Todd Lincoln that had to be hers. And I was like, I don't know that that hit the same way that Norma, Norma Ray hit. Um, Places and then in also, the heart. Steal fucking magnolias. They didn't talk enough about Steel Goddamn Magnolias, which is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. I memorized everything. And here's my Sally Field impression because I don't. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here we go. Okay. I do a thing called two-second impressions, which I think is everybody has their two seconds, their perfect two seconds of impression. It's hard to do an impression for that long if you're not an amazing impressionist, which I am not. But everyone has two seconds of some character or actor that they can do. And this is mine. I love this. Okay. So – She's in the scene. You know, she plays um, uh, Malin, and um, her daughter, Shelby, has just died from uh, complications from diabetes. Tragic, awful. She loves her daughter. <sighs> it's a heartbreaking performance. I'm going to cry again. And uh, Julie Roberts is dead. Shelby's dead in the movie. And, um, and she's in the, at the graveyard, and... Daryl Hannah's saying like, well, she's this real religious character. And she's just like, well, you just, you know, I'm just happy that, you know, she's with her, her, your maker. She will always be young. She will always be beautiful. That's my Daryl Hannah. But anyway. and That was good. That was a good Daryl Hannah. Sally Field loses it. Malin fucking loses it and just goes, I want to know why. Why? (laughs) No, no, no. This isn't happening. I'm supposed to go first. I'm supposed to go first. (laughs) That's my... (laughs) Impression. Really good. And you know Thank what? You. I was thinking I was going to put that monologue in this episode, and now I don't have to. No, I'd like because... you to compare. I would like you to put it in the episode because I would like okay. mine, and then I want to hear hers. You know what? <laughs> We're going to play it right now. <laughs> oh, God, I want to know why. Why? Lord, I wish I could understand. No. No. No, it's not supposed to happen this way. I'm supposed to go first. I've always been ready to go first. No, no, uh, I'm supposed to go first. I was prepared to go first. <laughs> That's just mine. <laughs> but that performance, that was... she's flawless. Flawless. Yes. And you, flawless. And you a, know and a, that... and with a million flawless performances in that movie. That movie is beautiful, perfect. I love that incredible. movie so much. Incredible. And... That brings us to uh, a really important point, which is really after uh, winning uh, Norma Ray and Burt Reynolds, the book 
she skips so far ahead. She doesn't talk about Forrest Gump. She no. doesn't talk about Steel Magnolias. She and then I will say the what I was like, whoa, this is so harsh. Um, we've jumped forward, and in two sentences, she's like. I got married to a real dud because he was nice to me. I needed that. His name was Alan. I had a kid. Now I'm on Brothers and Sisters on ABC. Yes. And Alan I and I are about, divorced. Yes. She talked more about Brothers and Sisters than she did any of those, than Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, it was crazy. Yes, Mrs. Doubtfire wasn't in there at all. Oh. And But here's what was so crazy to me. is like so much about Steve, so much about Bert. Alan is two sentences of what a nice guy, uh, hated it, moved on, gross. I don't know why I did that. Lost, <laughs> lost a bunch of years of my life. Bye. Um, would you rather be... If, if your ex was going to talk about you in a memoir, would you rather be so unimportant you are one sentence Alan or would you rather be uh, Steve and all your flaws? A hundred percent Steve. hundred <laughs> percent. I need to be seen. Same. I need to be seen. And I, I don't need care to be if, seen. And I don't care if my it's my flaws that are being seen. I need to be seen. I love that. Yeah, I really was really grappling with it. We're like, oh, if you said bad things about me or if you were like, she made she I was married to her for 10 years and she it doesn't deserve more than a sentence. No, so I need to make an boring. impression even if it's a bad one. That's how I feel. <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt. Put it on a T-shirt. I need to make an impression even, even if, if it's, it's a bad, bad one. one. I don't give a shit. <laughs> see me. Feel me. Hear me. Oh, my God. See me. Feel me. Hear me. And all my flaws. <laughs> um, so it, I, uh, the book really wraps up pretty quickly it's, and it's like, like and it's got, like she got tired again. she got tired yes <laughs> yes and she you know what it took her seven years she was like fuck I it i get it send it out i get it um the at the back of the book there are questions for the book club i was <laughs> like how nice of you and um <laughs> do you think she wrote them <laughs> her publisher i hope her publisher someone had to have written them because actually let me we, we're not going to discuss these i thought it'd be fun then i read them and i was like absolutely not these are the questions why do you think the author chose to title her memoir in pieces? I was like, come on. What is this? Two plus two? Yeah, come on, <laughs> like, man. She, That's, she defined I that like throughout the book. Whoever did it, you know, whoever published the word, they put that on the back of every book. Why did they title it yeah. A Tale of Two Cities? Like, they, they just, Okay, yeah, general. you're right. You're right. It, it, Field describes her acting as a time when I felt free. I could hear myself. Why do you think this was so valuable for her? It's like, bitch, the answer's in the question. She felt yeah. free. Yeah, you know, this is um, like remedial <laughs> shit. Remedial. However, listen, mm -hmm. if you have a book club. There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of questions. So it is time to read the last page mm -hmm. of the book. Okay. My mother might have blinked when I was a child. She made huge mistakes without a doubt. Though I cannot fool myself into thinking I have been a perfect parent either, though my gaffes have been different. I hope that I have learned from her because on this writing road that I chose to hoe, what becomes most clear to me is that my mother never backed away. She never deflected or ducked or left my sight. I didn't need her to be perfect. I needed to know her, warts and all, so that then perhaps I could know myself. She struggled to give me that, unflinchingly. She was my devoted, perfect, imperfect mother. I loved her profoundly, and I will miss her every day of my life. And I know without a doubt that when I close my eyes for good, she will come and get me. Oh, my gosh. Till then, bah. Oh, gosh. And that references to her making her mom promise that, oh, <laughs> do we I crying again. <laughs> that, when, that when her mom dies, that she'll come back and get her. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> mom, I love you so much. Um. <laughs> uh, I know. You know, okay. that, that stuff gets me because I do think when, <laughs> when you, at the end of your life, you would like to feel safe and, uh, you know, and I think of my daughter and, and I just think we all, at the end of the day, we want, we want our moms, you know, we want, 
want that person. We want to feel safe. We want to feel loved. And, um, and that's all she wanted. And that's all her mom wanted, you know? And, and, um, that's all we want. Yes. yes. So I get Oh my that. gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. I, are you kidding me on this podcast? And you guys cry a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, usually just me, which is a bummer. <laughs> um, uh, wow. wow. Well, we, we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. I want to thank her for, for being my friend when I was younger. Um, you know, her characters, they really were friends to me, you know, growing up um, and, you know, feeling like, you know, just watching a ton of TV. She was my friend. And um, and her performance oh have, has always made me feel less alone. I love her so much. And I'm, um, and I'm sorry for the pain that she went through. Um, but she gave me a lot of happiness. I want to thank her for that. Sally. (laughs) Sally, thank you so much. And Mm. Danielle, (laughs) as we wipe tears. Where can people find you in your projects? Uh, Well, they can listen to my podcast, Bitch Sesh with Casey Wilson, where we um, kind of it's a comedy podcast where we talk about the housewives, but so much more. Um, and, and so and, much more. And, and there's you, no way you're listening to this podcast and don't already listen well, to yours. <laughs> but, but yes, Chelsea, yes, we, we have to have you on uh, again because you're the best. And thank you for having me on. I love you and I love this podcast and I watch all your stories. So I also feel like I get your podcast through your Instagram stories because you're so you're so good at that where I'm like so impressed oh. by your Instagram stories. I'm really sucked in by them. Like I look forward to oh them. Oh my gosh. I thank really you. do. I've, I'm constantly feeling bad by how much many typos I put in them. And then oh. I think like, if I care about this, I'll stop doing them. I just have to move, take, make, yes, make because the typos I don't, and move on. I don't know how to spell, so I'm not checking that. I but, don't either. Um, but I will say um, your Insta- the way that you tell a story through Instagram is impressive. Like, I really think you wow, do a great I, job. And so even if I shocking. haven't gotten the, to read the book or listen to that podcast of that one, I can still... Um, like your Celine Dion, I got a lot out of your Mariah Carey, your Gabrielle Union made me want to like I made me want to pick up that book. God, I love that book. Um, so wow. you do a great job um, on your podcast, and then also through I would say the sister piece, which is your Instagram. What if I cry again, but it's just about that. (laughs) Um, Thank you so, so much. I just adore you immensely. And this was incredible. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Man, um, that got so deep. <laughs> that set the crying record on this podcast. It's the most times I've cried. Um, I just want to thank Danielle for bringing so much of her story and so much of her vulnerability to the episode. You know, I didn't enjoy reading this book, but I am so glad I did because of how much I got out of the conversation with Danielle. Like she just made me so happy I read it so that we could have that talk. And I feel like she brought so many things to the surface for me. And um, it just really meant a lot. If you want to see the visual story that goes with this episode, go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, where I will post uh, all the pictures from things we talked about today. And I save that in my highlights. So you can always access it no matter when you listen to the podcast. And that's at Chelsea Devantes. You can also go to the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast. And that is where you can start your own conversations and people post articles and funny things and upcoming books and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's a really cool community. 
I could not do this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, producer Brandon Nix, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. If you want to listen to an ad-free episode of Celebrity Book Club, you can only do that on Stitcher Premium. So go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS. That's B-O-O-K-S. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We have a few more phenomenal episodes coming out. Then we have a short little tiny one-week break, and then we're back at it.